0: how can one combine research and community advocacy about this and many other important topics is this conversation with patria roman velasquez in this new episode of el café latinx what is the experience of being a latinx or latin american scholar in the field of communication and media studies What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Bochkowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al-Thani chair in communication. Together with Maura Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, We invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am delighted to have with us today Dr. Patria Román Velázquez. Dr. Román Velázquez is Senior Lecturer in Culture, Media and Creative Industries at the Department of Culture, Media and Creative Industries at the Faculty of Arts and Humanities in King's College London in the UK. She is also the Founder and Chair of the Board of Trustees of Latin Elephant, which is a charity. Working with migrant and ethnic groups to increase participation and inclusion in processes of urban change in London. Before uh, her current academic position, she was senior lecturer in media and creative industries at the Institute for Media and Creative Industries at Loughborough University in London. Before then, she was a lecturer in sociology and media studies and a course director and senior tutor for research in the MA. Uh, over there in the Department of Sociology at City University of London. Before then, she was assistant professor and graduate program director in the School of Communication at the University of Puerto Rico, among other professional roles. She got her BA in Honours with Communication Studies in the School of Communication at the University of Puerto Rico followed by an MA in Communication Studies also at the University of Puerto Rico, and then a PhD in Social Sciences in the Center for Mass Communication Research at the University of Leicester, England, that was sponsored by the University of Puerto Rico, the President Fellowship in Urban Studies. Patria is the author of two books, The Making of Latin London, Salsa Music Place and Identity, which came out in 2017 uh, and had been uh, as an e-book published by Rutledge. It was originally published in 1999 by Ashgate and more recently together with Jessica Retis um, she is co-author of Narratives of Migration, Relocation, and Belonging Latin Americans in London, which came out in 2020 with Palgrave Macmillan. She has co-edited uh, two edited volumes, is the author of a number of journal articles and the recipient of many external grants. Patria, welcome to El Café Latinx.
1: Thank you, Pablo. Thank you for the invitation
0: as well. Pleasure to have you here with us. So tell us, how did it all begin? That is, how was the start of the journey that led you to become an academic?
1: Yeah, I don't think I ever thought that was going to be the the way um, it was going to be in a way. Um, I I think it all started in that process of... um, Doing my MA um, and being encouraged by professors at the University of Puerto Rico, who very much opened the doors for me, um, who insisted that I um, continued my postgraduate studies at um, a PhD level. Um, of course, you know, I couldn't afford it and so on. So they put me in the right place and in contact with the right people as well um, to get that scholarship. Um, which was called the President Scholarship, which is the president of the University of Puerto Rico Scholarship, um, that in a way allowed me to, to come to the UK to pursue my PhD. And these two professors are um, Eliseo Colon who, who who is in the School of Public Communication, and a sociologist and anthropologist called um, Chuco or Angel Quintero Rivera, and the school of social sciences these two people were for me crucial in setting me um that path and opening up doors uh for me without that grant i don't think i would have been able to well to come to the uk and to do the phd so that's how it sort of started and then after that i suppose it was um the first job at the university of Puerto Rico, and and that though i have been in and out of academia as well so (laughs)
0: <laughs> Excellent. I'll, I'll go back to that in a few minutes, but before then, why the UK? How did you make a decision to go from Puerto Rico to England?
1: Yes, um, I did apply for uh, degrees in 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 the United States, you know, and in the universities in the United States, because I thought economically would have been much more viable for me to do that. Um, However, my my these two professors were insistent that Europe was more aligned to my ways of working and to all that tradition of working than the United States and media schools in the United States. Um, So that was one. Uh, thing, I would say, that, that sort of stimulated me to come to the United States, but also, I mean, to, to come to, to, to the UK and not the United States. But I also um, felt that, little did I know then, but at that point, I thought, well, you know, I can come to the United States anytime in my career and anytime in my life, I will never, ever have the opportunity to go and study, you know, in Europe. I've got this scholarship, so I'm going there. Um, well, of course, I've made my life here, but that was um, a bit of the rationale. So it was a bit to do with the sort of focus, um, it was I have done seven years as well in, in media and communication schools. and even though I was coming to a media and communication schools, the, the PhD in the United Kingdom is by research. So I did a more sort of ethnographic anthropological um, sort of study here within the school. And that's how also I started with, 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 the, with, with communication in a more sort of broad in a broad way, right as well. Um, not just media centric, which I've done a lot before then as well.
0: Fascinating. Um, So let me ask you then a follow up question. Um, How was the experience of of being a Puerto Rican woman uh, doing a PhD in London?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question, because actually, and also something that I also thought um, was when when I was thinking of going to the United States, I I was thinking um, you know, I have a lot of connections with being a Puerto Rican, right, in the United States, so there's an aspect there of familiarity, but um, no, it was very strange. I have never come out of Puerto Rico before then, you know, um, uh, to or to Europe. I've only lived in the United States, visited perhaps Dominican Republic and, and Panama, perhaps. Um, but nothing else and in relation to universities so I had no idea of, of what Europe would be like <laughs> in that respect and I do remember um and I had no idea that there were a Latin American population here or not or, or what I would have found um perhaps very naive you know of me but I remember first coming with the family that I stayed in in London and saying well I'm sort of walking around London the first two days before I go to Leicester where where the university was and my first impression was wow you know this is big I come from an architecture that is really different as well and so I don't know why but I did think this idea that all the statues the size of things and buildings everything and I said oh my god it reminds me of the empire it just there it's, it's it's just constantly there so I think that was the first shock um and there's loads of cultural sh- shocks i suppose as well <laughs> um in terms of of, of 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 how i dealt with things and, and 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 with people and learning the ways um but yeah I, 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 at that level of of my first impressions of being here um and then at the level of, of forming a community around you and 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 that has been and an uphill struggle as well um, in different sort of ways. Um, I think I now feel settled, you know, I've been here for over 25 years or so, so I do feel slightly settled, but it's always that, um, it's always this this idea of being one foot in, one foot out all the time, Um, not just because you feel it, but because you're also reminded of that, right? Um, You'll, yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, so in graduate school, for instance, did that shape the kinds of topics you decided to study or how you decided to go about that, for instance?
1: Yeah, I I had um, a, a couple of topics that I wanted to um, explore and they were um, similar, but they were in Puerto Rico rather than in London. Um, And I remember it was in a visit with one of these professors um, to the UK, um, Chuco Quintero, who told me the same, you know, you're going to go back to Puerto Rico, and you're going to research and have time to research over there. Do something about um, being in the UK, something that's over there, because you won't have this opportunity again. And that changed my mind. I said, yeah, it's true, right? So that's how that research on the salsa Music Clubs developed um, here and an about place and identity, which I wanted to do in Puerto Rico around tensions with music, sort of cultures in Puerto Rico, right? So what I did was transfer some of those themes to the local context, um, uh, thinking that I was going to have, you know, a lot of time back in Puerto Rico to do research over there, and that never happened. <laughs> so I, I was still- going to ask
0: you about that. So you finished graduate school where you sort of um entirely sure that you wanted to become an academic or did you consider other career options and and geographically um where how did you manage you know uh where to go next yeah
1: no um at that point i did think that the academic career when i finished my phd i thought yeah you know i'll go back to puerto rico and i'll work at the university of puerto rico and that was my intention and that's what i did actually when i finished my phd i went straight to university of puerto rico in 96 and i spent three years there um before um coming to the united kingdom um i met um who um was my husband you know at the time and or and so we left puerto rico <laughs> um well, well he, he came with me to puerto rico on and off and then um things didn't go so much as planned um in terms of that and yeah personal reasons in a way I said okay let's apply um back in the in, in into the uk and see if i can find a job i found that job at city university and that That's um, how I ended up back in 1999 here. I never thought I would make a career in the UK. That was never in my plans or my intention. Um, uh, My whole idea was I go back to Puerto Rico and I work there and I will be part of the University of Puerto Rico. But I was only there for three years and then I I came here and I have stayed here.
0: And so when you returned to the UK, you knew it was for good or were you also in your mind thinking, well, at some point I'd go back to Puerto Rico?
1: No, there there was always that. Yeah, it's this thing of having a foot in and a foot out. Yeah, Um, I always thought that um, I would go back um, and that this might be temporary. Um, Then I had my first child not long after it. And then when he was about to go to school, I thought, "Okay, this is the time. me to go and i did try and i went to a university interview i went to the first sort of shortlisting process and then i decided to withdraw and it was then um that i decided it was around 2005 or so when i said no what is it that i want my children to get out of Puerto rico can i do this or not and that's when i decided that and it became really clear to me that i was going to stay in the united kingdom that i was not going back to puerto rico to work in puerto rico at least for the short time right um i still think i might want to return i want to go but things are really difficult you know in terms of 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 going back in in the situation at puerto rico now at the university of puerto rico as well so um, i keep in touch with people there and have great friends there but um yeah, that's when I think it became clear to me that I was staying here.
0: And in terms of the work environments, how would you characterize the commonalities and the differences between university settings in Puerto Rico, university settings in the UK, in your own experience at least?
1: Yeah. Um, it's such sort a. Of, similar and different, I suppose. I, I think that, that this is issue as well that in Puerto Rico academia is much more teaching and student-centered whilst in the UK there's a rich sort of research component and so you have, or at the beginning when I started, you used to have a lot more time for doing research um because academia has also changed a lot in the uk um so there's that main difference there so so you're um much more involved in in, in that respects so with teaching and student life than 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 in the uk well in the UK you are but research plays a big part and a big component on your academic sort of career and development as well so that's one of the main differences and then I suppose the other differences are, um the topics and, and and that you teach and these sort of inflections that you give. If I teach things about place and identity um in Puerto Rico, I teach shit in a very particular way. Um and in certain ways, people want to hear about who are the authors you've worked with, Patria, and so on, right? What are the key themes and debates? And I do the opposite then when when I'm here. So it's... um, Sort of uh, bringing that voice that 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 I have that other people here do not have in academia. Um, so if I was teaching globalization, place and identity, I would have a very different inflection than, than than my other sort of colleagues who work from this Western world. And I always have much more connections with Latin America, um, or with the Caribbean, right? Um, so I will bring those voices. I will bring those. Um, sort of inflections into the classroom more. And I always remember students saying, oh my God, you know, the way you teach, you know, globalization is so different. We've never heard that version before. And it's partly because of that. So, so it's how you play then those different role, roles. Um, um, and that's how I I, I, I see um, certain differences. Um, universities, you know, in, in Puerto Rico, um, or the ones I, I was, the University of Puerto Rico is sort of publicly funded. Um, there's a lot of privatized universities here. All universities are public funded. So there's a lot more accountability for research and what's done with that. Um, yeah, so th- those are some of the sort of main differences and things that I I see. There, there are others, but it will be more about um, cultures of working, perhaps, <laughs> which is very For instance,
0: would you mind elaborating
1: on that? I don't know. Sometimes it's the way, um, yeah, the way you relate to colleagues and to people, I feel it's slightly different. It's just, um, it took me a long time to get the tone right or get the form of communicating right here. I came straight from the PhD, right? Well, I went to Puerto Rico and up here, but I've never worked in the UK before. So I just did my, my PhD here. Um, and so working for me here was a, a big learning curve. Um, marking essays, the, the systems are very different as well. So we, we operate a very different system to the US, which is the one Puerto Rico use on A, B, C, and Ds. We we don't, right? We use percentage and 70 is a and above is what is an A, basically. So you're not working on the 90s. So it took me a long time to learn that. Um, but yeah, I did it. But it was also like responding um, to people. You you were very formal in Puerto Rico in terms of languages that you used to communicate with people. And there was always memos, right? <laughs> Written for everything, a memo. So a memo. So someone writes to me an email about I wanted to do something, and I write a memo, right? <laughs> a long memo. why are you so serious but you know they didn't expect me to reply that way so next time i do reply very casual the same way that i thought it was expected of me oh very informal but so it was like where do i get this balance right so it's about those little nuances, right, of of, of of cultures of work and learning them and um, partly because I've never worked in the UK um, in that sense, yeah.
0: Fascinating. And then when you said that the UK academia has changed a lot, how, how would you characterize that change and how has that, um, you know, affected or influenced your own work, if at all?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the 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 British education system has really um when I started here, it was the first time that fees was introduced to students and it has increased to like over the now 9 thousand pounds um which in comparison to to the United States is is, is low but the cost of living here is, is quite high. Um, so that that is one of the first changes I saw from being a completely public, um, well, they are public universities, but where, where students didn't pay for for their education, to having to pay for an education. And that changes the relationship between um, the institution, right and the students and the demands that students has as well, that the student would have as well. So um, I think that is a big shift here. Students are seen as customers, right in certain ways. Um, by institutions and 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 not only that students also demand more because they're paying for that um education in a very different way that they would demand things um before Uh, so i started at the very beginning of that um introduction of fees Um, and because the cost of education is quite high, there's been a lot of cuts in government funding for educations and so on. There's also a lot of increase on um, international students, for example, at MA, uh, proliferation of MA degrees, um, because they attract um, foreign students, which means foreign capital money, right, in, in that respect, their fees are a lot higher and so on, um, which then that translates into really um, high numbers and volumes of numbers. And complete over workload for staff. Um, uh, So what you see is um, year after year, student numbers increasing um, a lot more, uh, which also puts uh, staff in really precarious sort of conditions. There's lots of people leaving the sector um, because they can't handle the type of workload that. That there is and there's loads of disputes at the moment as well and strikes <laughs> last semester we were in loads of strikes um for pension schemes and for what is casualization of the workforce as well um, issues like that, that that were there but less present perhaps when i started i probably this is generic i don't know
0: <laughs> no, no no very very important issues that you are addressing so in your own personal experience Reflecting on that, how how would you think these dynamics have affected or not your own work?
1: Yeah, it, it does because you have less time to do research in in certain ways, um, and and you get involved in much more administrative sort of or leadership roles within the university. The demands placed on you are slightly. Different as you go along, as well on your career. So, I feel that, um, and I, I've always had a sort of love hate relationship with academia. I would think in, in certain ways. So, I I did leave at one point you know, the university in 2013, I left um, City University. And this is how Latin elephant um, developed. And on my years of being out of academia, I don't think it could have developed from within academia. It's not the space that, that does that. But it's also because of the type of academic I am. I'm a very, I don't have a linear path in academia. I don't, I'm not, I'm not the linear, you know, academic. I'm a very different sort of academic. And so when when you are like that, you you feel those institutional sort of pressures and demands and things don't allow you to think and don't allow you to do what you really want to do. Um, And I think these are also things that are changing because um, there's a big demand now for impact. Right. And and so works like I do now are very important within um, academic environments. And um, but yeah, when, when when I left, I was really disillusioned with not having the space, you know, you get on the day-to-day and, and, and really disillusioned. So I left academia and um well started to think, what am I gonna do? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't have a plan. Um I had various grants and so on, and then um Latin elephant um sort of emerge out of that process of having left academia. And then I went back to academia. Now we employ people and I'm still on the board of trustees, but it's more a sort of governance sort of role and leading a bit the right direction, but it has a life of its own. Mm.
0: So would you mind sharing with our audience a little bit more about what the Latin Elephant is and what it does and how it has grown over time?
1: Yeah, yeah, Latin Elephant... um, in a way starts from my research with the um latin american traders in an area that is called elephant and castle so the latin because it's predominantly latin american traders and elephant because of the area and that's where the name comes from and latin elephant is a charity um, registered with the charity commission um to uh, uh, try to increase participation and engagement of migrant ethnic groups but in particular latin americans in processes of urban change um, in london and it in a way, it was the way in which I translated my research, and I said, "Okay, I'm out of academia. What am I going to do? What do I want to do?" And so, um, I developed certain grants. We received a grant. The first grant was from from Southwark Council, which is the borough that that does it, and it was in response to a big regeneration project in the area. Um, Elephant and Castle is very central geographically, but um, marginally, economically, right, in in that sense. Um, And so this came as a response from some research I did in which the traders wanted to know more about the development. And because I was doing that research, they said, oh, why don't you let us know what you're doing, you know, let's have meetings in which you communicate with um, us and we can um, sort of learn what's happening with the development. So it became more or less like a channel at the very beginning. I thought it was just going to be a channel of communication. And then when I left academia, I said, I think there's more potential here to do something. And so as, as I left academia, loads of developers were coming in, doing their their consultations and so on and so i saw okay we can do our own consultation with the community no one's asking them what they want right and so we started like that um and that report first report that we wrote that is the case for london's latin Quarter, was 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 the result of Um, a big workshop that we did where we had all the traders, community groups, and um, people from the local government, um, developers, all Network Rail, which was, you know, all the people who were involved in the development um, to put forward their vision for the area. And that's how Latin Elephant Develop is a response to to traders' sort of needs um, and resulted as part of my research and my involvement with the gentrification of the area. And... why
0: did you go back to academia and did you go back to academia sort of you you're being out of academia and and building latin elephant do you think it sort of shaped how you do your academic work now in ways that are different from what you used to do before
1: yes um that's a very good question um Well, I couldn't survive without a salary. (laughs) Being in in the trustee board as as a trustee, you cannot earn um, sort of money um, in the organization. And I couldn't um, support myself any longer, basically. So I did try applying for jobs in the voluntary sector or in think tanks. But I don't think I, at that time when I was applying, I, uh, Latin elephant wasn't really well known then. It really gained a lot of momentum as I as I left in a way for because it was it coincided with the publication of the report and and, and so on. So yeah, I I think I you know mainly academic reasons to to return. I thought oh it looks like I'm not getting very far with applications in the other sectors. I probably didn't do the right thing either in applying. I didn't know how to apply, you know, those things that you sometimes take for granted. Um I think if I apply now, the story will be very different. But um so I returned to academia, but I returned with a very different attitude. I and 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 you touched something there that is quite interesting because I did decide that the minute I feel the same, I felt I leave academia and that academia has to work for me and it has to work for the communities I research with, right, in in, in a way. Um, and and so my, now I use academia as a vehicle to sort of advocate for the, for, for the things I want in certain ways. And I do research and put that research to the service of the communities I work with. Um, so a lot of the research and evidence that i collect then was put for example as evidence for 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 opposing the the development um and that's how how i i work now and i and i like working with community groups and i like working with other organizations but um not because oh, I'm doing this because I need to fill this tick box of impact, but it's because it's the way I work. And now my research is transformed, you know, completely, in which um, I, I, I work together with, right, these organisations, rather than um, sort of designing a project from top to bottom and, and and deciding what it is. And and we work in collaboration, I, I work worked um with with um the latin elephant team and we're now producing things together we're doing things together um and and the way i I work now is very different and also the way um uh, we work you know at latin elephant with universities is also quite telling and quite different and latin has been put as case study in different courses for example Um, about um, the way in which we put race in the agenda for the planning process, right, Um, in that sense. So that's been really important. It's gained that sort of recognition in in that sense.
0: Excellent. And so building on that, I mean, on the Latin part of elephant, right? (laughs) Um, So most of the scholarship on, on Latinx, issues in communication and media studies focuses on the US, or for those who are uh, in Latin America and Latin America and their Latinx doesn't uh, applies mostly to the US, right? Um, it applies entirely on one would say to the US you know, Latin Americans consider themselves Latin American. So if we, if we think about the category like global Latinidad, right, um, so there are both Latinx and Latina, Latino people, Latin Americans, um, outside of the Americas as a hemisphere. Um, you're one of them, and y- your work focuses on uh, diasporic communities in a city like London. Your first book also touched upon uh, that in the context of music, right? So so where do you see the place uh, of the non-American, American American hemisphere based work on global Latinidad. And what kinds of dialogues and what kinds of silences also exist in relation to the work done in Latinx USA and in Latin America?
1: Yeah, well, this is an interesting question because, um, you know, concepts and categories for how people denominate themselves or represent themselves are also um, they have their own gen- gen- genealogy you would say yeah mm-hmm. you know they have their own trajectory as well mm-hmm. um, and for example <laughs> very recently um, I always talk about Latin urbanism and you know I was submitting an article of Latin urbanism and the reviewer was from the USA <laughs> And of course, you know, Latin is associated with Europe. It's not this, is why not Latino, because in the US they use Latino and so on. But people in the United Kingdom do not use Latino with the O, but use Latinx, for example, deliberately, or Latin American, right? Um, and that is the way it is. And it's seen as a political sort of statement in certain ways, um, because there's also another faction that say, oh no, we are Ibero-Americans, because mm-hmm. they want to include then Spain and and Portugal and all the sort of um, legacies of that colonialism as well and and, and, and in there because they feel that that will make us bigger in numbers right so it's more like a strategic decision and so in terms of that whether you mirror to Europe as an Ibero-American or whether you mirror to Latin America is a political statement. And you need to understand that within the context of the UK, right? Whereby in the US, you don't perhaps have that because you're not as close right to Europe in that that sort of respect Um, or um, so. But where does, global latinidad is like me working with latin americans in london for example the issues about latinidad latin identity latinness you know <laughs> i used to describe it as latinness um in in my first book in 99. so where does this belong and 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 in particular in my case because i deal with urban issues in relation to a place and identity um And there's very little, very little places where where this will fit um, in that sense. There are studies about migration and diaspora. um, And it it, it perhaps um, uh, is now being slightly noticed more in terms of um, people doing work on migrant urbanism for example, right? Um, There's a a woman um, from from LSE, Susi Hall had had done some work on this. So I'm sort of trying to build on what has emerged from the United States in terms of Latino urbanism, um, the manifestations that it happens here, but also connecting with very little and scant literature on Migrant urbanisms in that respect, right? So, and and, and issues about um, because I'm quite interdisciplinary as well, but it's about um, sort of racial issues in terms of, of the high street and also in terms of planning and, and and so on. And I'm not a planner, but it's how this you start putting these debates in these forums in a way, um, but also. The work that I do with Jessica Retis, which 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 you know, um and a co-author of the second book um that I that I have as well. Um and with Alejandra García Vargas, which is a, a colleague that, that I work with in, in Jujuy, in, in Argentina, in Universidad de Jujuy. The three of us have been working for over 20 years, and we all work with Latin America in the margins, and we have from our own perspectives and positionalities and geographical positions as well, where we are, Jessica, in the United States, Argentina, but in Jujuy not in Buenos Aires, and me in London, which is supposedly a global capital, but a very marginal theme within the global, <laughs> right, um, in that respect. um, So we start, we're developing this sort of article as well on um, how to work Latin America in terms of, of, of the margins, non-capital cities in the case of Alejandra, right? The non-metropolitan cities. Um, and in my case, the margin within was the global city, right, in that respect. Um, so one of the, 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 the titles that we have is, or subtitle to 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 the article that we're working on is, where does Latin America live, right? Donde vive Latin America? Um, where does it reside? Where is it? Is it in the parts of London that I know? Is it in Miami? Is it, right? Is that part of Latin America, but also not being, so, so detaching Latin America from a geographical position, but also this could bring unwanted by us, but other political inflections, right, as well, in which they say, well, why do you want, you have center space, stage in these places, right? Why do you wanna bring Latin America then, right, um, to that? So, so, so it's quite a dangerous move as well, but at least it's moving because when we go to conferences in Latin America, it's why why are you presenting here, right? Why is this part of that? But when I present it here, <laughs> I, I sometimes don't even find spaces where to present these things either, right? So it's, it's, it's this ambivalence of, of the margins and, and where do you belong and where these debates belong. Um, so we have this this as a question, opening question: Where does Latin America live? Or so.
0: <laughs> as a follow up to that, do you think Latin America could ever live not in the margins?
1: Well, yeah, this is also <laughs> oh another um, sort of question, but that's a, a broader political. Yeah, I was talking more of um, margins, as in um, geographical sort of um, margins. But yeah, there are political and economic sort of margins in which Latin America as a region, yeah, it's also involved in. Um, yeah, I think that's a good question. I don't know <laughs> whether I do have an answer for that. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> but very good, very good observation, thank you.
0: <laughs> okay, so then if you had magical powers and and could be granted one wish, about how you'd like the field of communication and media studies to change. What would you wish for?
1: Inclusivity. Um, And I mean this both ways. Socially, um, inclusivity of different sorts of groups within the field of media and communication studies. So about representation of, of, of the people who who are in the field, um, the people who are represented in, in, in the field as well. But also I want to think about it in terms of inclusivity and equality and equity sort of issues as well. And so I would like a media and communications field to be inclusive in the way in which it's less media centric. Okay. And I have that sometimes. It's my struggle where... Does urban communication fit and the type of research I do in Latin America, there's a big tradition of communication in the city It's less so in the United States or the urban communication is very different to the Latin American tradition of communication in the city. And the same in the UK is only very recent that this is sort of happening. So I want. I think, yeah, I want an inclusive sort of field socially in terms of the people who are there um, representing different themes and, and, and including racialized communities, Latinx communities and so on. But also in terms of, of, of the areas of study and, and, and less media centric in that sense.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Patria, for sharing your trajectory, your experience and your wisdom with us uh thank you to our listeners for staying with us through the end and i invite everybody to join us uh, in the next episode of el cafe latinx thank you very much thank you el cafe latinx is a production of the center for latinx digital media in the department of communication studies at northwestern university i am pablo Wojcicki, your host and I'm joined by executive producer Mora Matassi.